Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. In today's episode, I interview Aliza Licht. She is best known for her claim to fame when she was with DKNY, the fashion brand, and she launched DKNY PR Girl on Twitter back in the day. When this interview was originally recorded, Aliza was with one of my favorite brands, if not my favorite brand, Alice and Olivia, where she headed the public relations and social media. Today, Aliza runs her own agency, and she also has the podcast called Leave Your Mark, which is named after her book, Leave Your Mark. I highly recommend you read her book, listen to her podcast, and follow her for everything social. Namaste. Hi, everybody. So thanks for joining us for this live lecture. We have a very special guest, Aliza Licht. Hey, Aliza. Thank you so much. Author of our book, Leave Your Mark. Um, We've been reading it every week and assigned chapters. And it's actually, everybody's telling me it's their favorite book out of all the required readings. So thanks, guys. Yeah. So you went from launching DKNY PR Girl to now where you are today. And we're kind of following that, that whole historical journey that you've taken. So can you just start out by telling us what the major differences that you're seeing and when you were behind the DKNY brand and where you are today from a social media standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, so as you guys know from reading, um, I started that in 2009. Instagram wasn't in existence yet Uh, in 2009. I think it came on the scene more like 2011. Lisa, do you know? Yeah, right around 2011. Facebook bought in 2013. Yeah, and, and really, you know, I mean, so it was like the Wild West, right? So, you know, you sort of just embark on trying to figure it out. There's no rule book. There's no great textbooks like you have. Um, and I think that organic growth was like a legit thing. And I think that um, brands that started early on, people that started early on were able to grow their communities in a natural organic way. Um, and you can't do that anymore. Yeah. It's really, really hard um, for brands, especially um, because the algorithms are working against you. You know, they want the ad dollars. And I think that there still is a place for great content and storytelling. And I think that, you know, you see every once in a while, like a Twitter, like a tweet that is from a brand that goes completely viral. And obviously that's purely organic. Um but, you know, they're few and far between. And I think that that's the biggest difference. Um, I also think that we went through a phase where we were like all very excited about all these different new platforms that were coming on the scene. It's like Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, Vine and all these sort of different places we could put content. And I think from a brand perspective, we were like so enamored by the fact that we were like, oh my God, we don't need third party credit credibility anymore. We don't need media. We can just make our own media. And then came the fatigue of having too many places to put stuff. So I think people have scaled back a lot. I think there's a much greater focus on like the platforms that make sense for a brand versus being everywhere um, at all times. And I think that um, it's totally different now. Yeah. So it used to be that you'd go to a brand website page and at the footer or the header or somewhere it would be every social media channel yeah. that, that would be listed. And now it's 
the ones that you know, select few? And how do you decide? I think, decide? I think for fashion, people? it's Instagram, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, Facebook, yes, because obviously social commerce on Facebook is much more mature than on Instagram, but um, Instagram, for sure, is number one fashion platform. But I still love Twitter. So bringing up Instagram for Alice and Olivia. So how do you how do you measure Instagram? How do you know when it's working? What so, are some of the ways that you're measuring? First of all, Alice and Olivia Instagram, similar to Detroit PR Girl, actually, um, is run by Stacey Bendak herself. She's okay. doing all of it. Um, and uh, we do have a social media community manager who does more more focuses on stories, um, but main feed is all Stacey. So we have a, a a tool called Dash Hudson. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. So we get amazing analytics from that tool. And what's some of the fun stats that I always love to see is when they um, show you a specific post, let's say, you know, a Kardashian posts something, then understanding how many followers you got from that post is really interesting. Um, and also seeing what kind of, you know, what has great engagement versus what doesn't. Um, understanding benchmarks across the industry for like frequency of posts. I just came last week. I went to like an Instagram uh, fashion masterclass for three hours. And it was really interesting um, to hear from Eva Chan about sort of best practices now. And we, we are actually going to start hopefully employing some of them because I think, you know, Stacey loves the polished perfect picture. But in fact, it's the authentic pictures that do best and what people want to see. Um, similar to Decoin Fiargo back in the day, it was always like, you know, my photography, which wasn't necessarily great. Um, so, um, and, and how only 1% of Instagram followers actually go to your profile. So, you know how sometimes people are like obsessed with how their main feed looks and the tiles and the way that it's done or whatever, doesn't matter. Literally. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And, and it's funny because everybody is so obsessed about the aesthetic, the grid, the last nine. Yeah. And and Instagram is highly advising not to. Really? Okay. So that's a great tip. So what other tips do you have that you're looking at your own Instagram feed and or your brand's feed? So what, what are you going to change based on what you're seeing that's happening now or what you've heard in, in your, the class? I, can hold on. I'm just going to open my. I have my Instagram masterclass class notes. Okay. So things with you guys. Um, this is not necessarily what we're going to do um, because Stacey, you know, has her own thoughts as well. But I think it's really interesting just to hear if you guys want to. Um, so comment ranking. So there's feed ranking, obviously, with the algorithm, but comment ranking is super important. So the more that a brand or an individual um, comments on their comments the higher, like the more interaction there is that you have with your followers' comments, the higher ranked you are in the comment. Which makes sense, yeah, right? Sure. You're having a conversation yeah. with the people that, you're, that are trying to have a conversation with you. Exactly. Um, they have 800 million active users right now. So when you think about brand frequency, like we don't post nearly enough. But if you, if each person follows between 400 and 2,000 accounts, um, if you post once a week or once a day, it's like literally like dropping a needle in a forest. So the more you post, the more you're gonna grow. Right. Um, 
Let's see. But one of the things that I love that you wrote in your book, and it's kind of, I mean, I, I'm kind of following along that same vein is that the, the editorial calendar, I mean, I preach it, I preach it, I preach it, brands should have it. Many brands where I, that I go in and I do consulting for, they don't have it. It's kind of just, you know, what is what is the feeling right now? So I think that there, like, there has to be a balance between that. You can't be so editorialized that you're almost like robotic. Mm-hmm. So where, how, how do you approach that from the business brand standpoint when it comes to the editorial calendar and social media? So, you know, for Decoy PR, I didn't have one. Yeah. I mean, for, in pers- a personal brand doesn't necessarily have to have it. Like, you, you talk but about how you... But it yeah. wasn't a personal brand, yeah. right? It was yeah. a brand. So um, yeah. <laughs> I, I really wanted it to be authentic. And I think that, you know, I reacted in real time to things happening in the world or happening in the office or it was award season or whatever. So I think that's still really, really important to be nimble enough and to, be, to have the authority to be able to post in real time. Um, editorial calendars are important because obviously everything we're doing now is positioned to drive econ sales, right? Yeah. So we do want to know, okay, on Tuesday of next week, we're going to be talking about the 10 best dresses of summer. We want to make sure we have creative assets that go along with that. Now, in my old life, I would have just gone into the closet and snapped a picture. So it depends how polished you want to appear or how perfect you want to appear as a brand. But I still prefer um, the more authentic route. And how do you feel about hashtags? I hate them. You hate but them. They're important. Yeah. They're important. Um, I mean, hashtags are really important on stories. Um, uh, you can, you know, a lot of people make them super, 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 super small underneath your comment so that you don't have to see them, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. It's called ghosting the hashtag. Um, so I think they are important um, for search, you know. And how does um, Alice and Olivia, how do they use, do you, are you using, you're not using hashtags? No. <laughs> I mean, sometimes she might, but no, not really. Okay. Switching gears a little bit, talking about personal branding. So the students in the class, they submitted <laughs> some questions. And so right now they're a mix of, some of them are seniors in college and entering the, the graduate program. And some of them are professionals. They've been in the workforce and they want to just switch gears into social media. Mm-hmm. And they're asking, you know, just some pointers and how do you, how do you do that when you're almost mid-career and you're not in social media, like from the beginning? Well, I think it's a very visual thing. I think that, you know, the first thing I would look at when I'm looking at a social media candidate, let's just say, is what do their own feeds look like, right? So, or like, you know, having a website, like a personal website that shows the work you've done, even if it's not for anyone. I I once um, interviewed this girl, she was a graphic designer candidate, and she came in and she, excuse me one second, um, she came in and to show me her portfolio and she had all this amazing she did like she had worked for like tiffany and company she had worked for like benefit she had worked for all this like all this amazing creative right um hi i'm just on a skype call can i call you back okay um and then she told me she's never worked with any of those brands she just wanted a portfolio 
Wow. She's interviewing with a brand to show what she can do with like iconic brand imagery, logos, different variations of logos. And I was like, wait, what? You didn't actually, I'm like, you should show them this. This is amazing. But I thought that was so clever because sometimes you don't have the experience. I love that. The chicken or the egg thing. It's like, well, how do you get experience if no one will give you a chance? And it's like, she just made this incredible portfolio. And like, I was like, oh my God, sold. You know, because it's like, you can just see it there. And I actually ended up not hiring her for various other reasons. But anytime someone asks me for like, a reference for or like an idea of a graphic designer freelance i'm like oh my god you should use this girl i didn't i didn't i couldn't hire her but she's amazing so i thought that that was very clever that's great and that's actually a great way to showcase that okay so maybe you don't get the job but you get somebody that's going to refer you a ton of work yeah and then it's okay to not get the job because and actually, and actually not to interrupt you but one of the um candidates that um for the social media job that i was hiring for here when she came in on the interview, she came in with a full portfolio of con of Alice and Olivia content. Like she did a mock feed of what oh, she okay. did. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that actually is a great segue. So one of um, the, the questions that we have from one of the students live now is hiring someone in social media, how does the candidate show you the work they have done? Or do, do you just come up, do you just look at their profile on social media? So it's kind of what you're talking about right now. Oh. So what, oh. what would be some of the different ways that you would I think a social media, someone who wants to work in social media should have good social beliefs. I think it's like, it's like um, shoemaker's kids not having shoes, right? It's like you, you should really be mindful of what your own fees look like. But I think also having a portfolio of your work, what real or not, is, is important. So you talked about visuals being something that's a, a great asset with social media and the feed. So if you're, let's just say you're kind of like doing a, a scan, an audit of somebody that you're hiring. So what would you look at in a social media feed besides the visuals to be, that oh. would tell you? Captions. Mm -hmm. You know, I think having really, really strong writing skills. Also the ability to get a certain voice. You know, if you you know, certain brands like Alison Olivia is a really fun, playful brand. So our copy is not going to be super serious. You know, so just understanding the tonality that um, changes between different brands, I think is important. Okay. And so social media, when it first came out with brands, who owns social media? That was the big question. So in your opinion, where does social media fall? Does it fall under PR? And is, is, do you have, an, like, what is your opinion on that? Um, you know, everything we do now is so 360. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, a lot of teams are PR and marketing combined. I mean, I think it's hard because it's great when it falls onto PR because there's a certain wherewithal to understand what is appropriate as a brand to be talking about, especially if you do have the authority to sort of be more off the cuff. Um, I, it, you know, it can be under either. I mean, I oversee both, you know, communications and marketing now, so it's under me. Um, I think it's really, really important though that it sits under either marketing or PR and not under like digital, like e-com, because it's a totally different sensibility. Right, and if you're, the PR department isn't, involved in the social media, then it could easily become a PR disaster without them being exactly. involved. In fact, 
So my social media manager sits with the PR team mm -hmm. um, and they do, there's crossover, not just in obviously, you know, focus of like what we should be talking about at any given moment, but also with influencer marketing. So PR definitely dabbles in influencer marketing, but so does social. So they, that's where they merge together. Any advice on how to avoid a, a PR disaster with when it comes to social media? And do you have any examples that maybe happened recently or that you want to share? So many. <laughs> um, I think you have to, as a brand, really think about what is appropriate for you to be weighing in on and what you should just sit out on. I think it's really easy, especially, and I know this better than anyone, especially as like, the person like, you know, holding the phone and with the freedom to like say whatever I want, sometimes, you know, I have to check myself and be like, you know what, that may come off wrong and it's not worth it. You know, so sometimes when it, you feel really passionate about something and you're like, I need to talk about this. And then it, it's just not worth it. So I think, you know, a lot of times, I think there's been a lot of fatigue um, with brands uh, who weigh in on terrorist attacks, you know, our thoughts and prayers, all of those posts. I think it's like, everyone's kind of like, okay, your thoughts and prayers aren't helping anyone. So like, why bother saying it? Like stick to your lane, right? So where do you draw the line when it comes I, to that? I would say don't post during any sort of oil crisis. I would say that that is where you probably hit pause on your 10 basket losses of summer story. Yeah, I mean, it used to be where, like you said, like you wanted to kind of jump into the conversation, but now that there's so many things happening and, and social media is so mainstream, it becomes yeah. just think, oversaturated. I had a crazy example with Osama bin Laden's death because I, you know, when I was doing Deep My Hair Girl, I had a, a second monitor for just Twitter. So I was like, my finger was on the pulse all day long, every day. And I was happened to be watching, I forget what day of the week it was, maybe I was watching the news, I was watching something, and I heard about, someone said it, like on Fox or somewhere, okay, that he was killed. So I like quickly Googled it, and I saw various news sites had said that he was killed, but it wasn't that many. So at the time with the Hero Hero Girl, I did speak about a lot of different things and I did weigh in a lot of different things. It was a very different time then. So I tweeted very matter-of-factly, Osama bin Laden is dead. And I became a news source on Twitter because Twitter hadn't didn't know that yet. So all of a sudden it was like the PR Girl was reporting Osama bin Laden right. said, which by the way, I think looking back on it now, is pretty off brand, right? <laughs> like, right, right. like not something that a brand should be talking about. But at the same time, the authenticity of being in the moment versus, and I remember it, it was obviously a long time ago, but I remember right when that happened, InStyle had posted the 10 best lip glosses of summer that you need now, and it felt very off key. It just felt like, you know what? It, that is, you need to know what, you can't have your head under a rock. If you're yeah. running social. So now fast forward to today. So what recommend what recommendations do you have for policies and social media for I think, brands? I think that brands right now are being held accountable on social issues. I think that um, it's a slippery slope. It's really tricky because as a fashion brand or any brand really, 
you 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 love anyone who has a credit card, right? So you want customers for, um, from the right, from the left, from the red, from the blue. Um, and I think that, you know, designers are very um, passionate about different social causes. And I think that's great. Um, but sometimes I think it is um, better to not weigh in on certain things, especially if you have distribution in places where they're not going to agree with you. So um, you just have to know if you're going to sort of go there, it might be at the loss of business. And do you have any advice on a starting point of creating a policy as far as, I mean, are you... Do you start with a one pager? Do you have it be super detailed? As far um, as I think that, you know, you could have a don't talk about this, right? Or, you know, words that you're not supposed to use. Like, you know, if you have fur in your line, talking about fur online is probably not a good thing to do. People will come after you. Um, I think that, you know, there was an incident last week. Did you guys hear about um, Coach? Um, the brand coach did um, an event, actually. Yeah, it was the other day. And they, um, uh, by mistake, um, one of their celebrity guests had transitioned. And I think they referred to the person as a he instead of a she. And it was just like one of those things where just like a mistake. Right. And it was a disaster. disaster. Yeah. And it is really hard once those things get traction, it's really, really hard to undo. Um, I've, I've had several so social media crisis situations when I was at DKNY. I had one here too, actually. Um, and, but at DKNY, I was on the front lines of it, right? So it was like, I was the one who was responding to everything. Um, and it was very personal because um, people know that you're a person, so they're, they're attacking you, like, how could you do that? And it's like, I didn't, I didn't do it, the brand did it, but it's like, I was responsible. So that was really, really difficult, really difficult to withstand. Do you feel like the media should be getting a little bit more tolerant of these social media, like legit mistakes, for, you know, and the way that, I mean, they could basically like ruin your search results, ruin your your positive headlines, ruin everything that you've worked for because then this didn't exist ten years ago, five years I ago. Think, really. I don't think it's the media's fault. I think it's the I think it's the population who bubbles it up enough that the media takes notice. Yeah. So it's like all of I mean on Twitter especially, it's like Half the time, it's like random trolls just making it so much worse to the point that it, then then it becomes a news story. Exactly. So, and, and I think, you know, it's media's job to report on that stuff. So unfortunately, you know, every brand goes through it but multiple times, I'm sure. Um, you just have to know how to deal with it. And one of the ways that we dealt with it at DKNY, which was really effective, is to have a crisis management committee. So committee consisted of myself, um, our, our president at the time, the um, head of human resources, the general counsel. Um, so we were all coming at a situation from a different perspective. And we were all like, we knew we were like that phone. So like, if I on the front lines of social was like, oh my God, we have a problem. Those five people knew that no matter what they were doing, they were mine. 
so that we could all make a decision together quickly as to what what needed to happen next. Okay, well, that's that's good advice. So we have one more question, and then I want to be mindful for time. So. Um, She's asking, in Elisa's book, she mentions her husband felt like she was married to Twitter. Yes. I feel like my husband feels that way with me and Facebook. I even dream about Facebook pages and groups. How are you, how are you, how are you able to balance your family life? Okay, so we don't allow any phones at the dinner table at all. Not, not for the kids, not for the adults. Um, we, so what I try to do is when I come home from work, Unless, okay, so this is sort of the rule. The kids are still doing homework, then I can bring my homework to the table. My homework is my laptop, right? So either on email or on social or whatever. The kids are done with homework, everything gets put away. So, and then I can turn it back on after I put them to bed. So that's sort of how we do it. Um, let me tell you something, my puppy no, gets mad when I'm on my phone. So it's not just my kids, it's <laughs> And then I tested it a couple of times and I'm like, I wonder if I put down my phone and he'll stop barking. He stops barking, he hands me a toy to play with him. So it's not just the kids. That's hilarious. Well, that's great. And it's also a great segue. So we're gonna hop off this Facebook Live and at 5.30, we're gonna be talking about digital detox secrets and digital life balance. Yes. But Eliza, before we sign off here, do you have any last words of wisdom for the, the social media students here at University of Florida? Uh, yeah, I would say that you need to think bigger than social. I would, I would add to that, know, be an expert in social and be an expert in digital marketing. Because I think a job in social can only take you so far. And then the next sort of level after that is really gonna be much bigger in, in paid, in digital marketing, as it relates to e-commerce sales. And I feel like that is where every brand is like hiring now and struggling with because direct to consumer business is so important to every brand. So I would say content creation is super important and having those skills is amazing, but take it, ex extrapolate it out a little bit so it's broader than just social. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Aliza. We love your book. Thank you. And well, if you want to join us on Digital Detox Secrets Facebook page, you have it. We'll meet you over there. And Elise is going to be sharing her advice on. I need to go over there. Yeah, I'm going to send you the link again. Bye, everybody. I have it. I have it. I have it. I have it. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com free.